comparing the formal retail channel in sub-Saharan Africa to South Africa and why the informal market continues to dominate. We also explore the outlook for retail in sub-Saharan Africa and why there is potential for sub-Saharan Africa to adopt global e-commerce trends. How does the modern retail channel in sub-Saharan Africa compare to that in South Africa and other parts of the world? If you go back, you know, on this trip we looked at four other countries. We looked at Kenya, Nigeria, um, Ethiopia and Ghana. Um, those are the frontier markets. You know, those are the markets that have the biggest retail penetration. And even in those markets, compared to South Africa, they lag in a significant way in terms of formal retail penetration. South Africa sits at around 60% formal retail and then of course 40% informal. And that number is significantly different in the countries that we visited. Um, Kenya is probably second in sub-Saharan Africa after SA at around 3%. But if you look at Ethiopia, if you look at Nigeria and Ghana, that number is around 90%. There's a number of reasons why this channel has struggled to grow over the last few years. So if you go back 5%, it was probably still at about 90%. If you go back, sorry, if you go back five years, it's probably still at about 90%. 10 years, probably the same. And to be honest, I think if you look forward five, 10 years, it's probably still going to be at around 90%. Despite the fact that there is actually quite a strong mall development pipeline from the mall developers. There's a number of reasons for that. First of all, I think for you to have a successful mall in sub-Saharan Africa, and to be honest, anywhere in the world, you've really got to have the, the, econo the, econ the economics have to work for you. Retail is a volume game, small margin, high volume. And when you look at sub-Saharan African currencies, generally they are quite weak relative to the euro, relative to the dollar. But the reality is dollar rentals in sub-Saharan Africa are dollar-based. So that, that mismatch makes it very difficult for retailers to be successful. Further to that is, you know, previously we had looked at the informal market as, you know, as the formal market grows, people will automatically shift out of informal into formal. But the reality is that for a lot of consumers, the informal market continues to just show the better convenience, better value, and actually caters to their demands better than the formal retail does. Whether that's actually true or not, whether it's just a perception, is a mute point. The fact is the consumer decides, and the consumer up until today still happens to prefer the informal market. Um, and you know, a big example of the difficulty we had is there's, a, there's been a lot of retailers, South African-based retailers that have entered sub-Saharan Africa. Um, over the last 10 years. You know, ShopRite entered um, sub-Saharan Africa in the early 90s. Um, and since then, a lot of the big tier one retailers, whether it's a Woolworths or a Pepco, they've done similar kind of entries into these markets, whether it's South and Central Africa, West Africa or East Africa, they've, they've, they've entered the market, you know, in, in anticipation of that formal retail growth. And it simply hasn't happened. Um, and over the last couple of years, a lot of those retailers have exited the market. And this year, the most significant one, uh, because they've had the biggest penetration in there, is ShopRite. ShopRite have exited um, quite a few key markets. They've announced that they want to exit Nigeria. They are as good as outside of Kenya. So if you, you know, to answer the question, if you look at the formal retail penetration in sub-Saharan Africa versus SA, it lags significantly. Um, and there are a number of challenges, and I think, or at least we think that, you know, it will continue to grow, but very slowly. And, and I think you really got to think, if you're thinking about retail in sub-Saharan Africa, you really have to think about that informal space as the dominant channel 
today and it will be for the next five to ten years at the very least. Why the continued preference for the informal markets? Fundamentally, it doesn't matter if you're a consumer in South Africa, in America, in, in, in Europe or in Asia. You know, the fundamental consumer demand remains the same. You know, people want to know about the product. They want to buy it at a good price with the least amount of hassle. It doesn't matter, you know, and that's true across income brackets, across demographics. Those demands are true today and they have been true, you know, since people have started shopping. The reality is when you look at the, the informal market in sub-Saharan Africa, and we're talking generally here, yeah, is the informal market continues to offer the best mix of those three. I think if you look back, you know, we started doing these trips um, in early 2017. And in that first trip, we came away, you know, we've, we interviewed a lot of people, we spoke to a lot of people, and it became very obvious that they are, and we coined this term, the three C's to consumption, really, that, that culture, cost, and convenience. And I think if you look at the way consumers shop through the lens of the three C's, it's actually very easy to understand why the informal market continues to remain strong. So, again, if I go back to what I said earlier, you know, people thought that a shop right coming into the market will draw a lot of people out of the informal market, but it's not true. So, you know, if I break down why the informal market continues to remain strong through the three C's, it becomes quite easy to understand. Um, cost, I think, as we mentioned before, there is a significant cost that goes with being in a, sh in a, in a shopping mall um, anywhere in the world, but I think that cost is even more significant in sub-Saharan Africa. Again, those dollar-based rentals, um, you've got to import a lot of your good. The manufacturing capabilities in sub-Saharan Africa is not the same as it is in SA, and the, the, the reality is you've got to import a lot of those goods. So we might perceive a ShopRite, for example, as being you know, a value retailer in South Africa, but the reality of the market in Nigeria and Kenya, for example, means that they can't actually come in at those same costs. And that's one of the key findings of the book is that if you compare like for like baskets, the South African basket is actually cheaper than the baskets in those other countries that we visited. So, you know, the reality is a lot of the small shops in the informal markets are actually cheaper than some of the big uh, retailers. That's true when you compare like for like baskets, but it's still it's also the perception of the consumers, because the, the consumers perceive the informal market to be cheaper. Um, convenience, again, is another factor. Um, and if we go back to the theory, the theory was that as African countries urbanized, you know, they went away from rural and into urban areas, more people would shift out of informal markets into the formal market. The reality is that the informal market simply moved into the cities with them. That is the reality. Um, and for a lot of these consumers who don't have the kinds of um, household items that we often consider to be essential, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the consumers in, in these markets don't necessarily have a, a, a fridge or a microwave to store goods over a long period of time. So a lot of the purchase behavior you see is in the morning for breakfast and then for lunch and in the evening again for dinner. And the reality is that a lot of these informal markets are actually on their way home or on their way to work versus the big shopping malls is actually a drive out and are often quite far away from and where people actually stay. So that convenience factor again, the second C, actually favors the informal market. And the third one is culture. So if you look, and I'll give you an example to use culture, is 
in the people that we spoke to and the people that we interviewed, and that goes again across income brackets, you know, whether, whether we met people in the market, whether we spoke to people that worked, for example, at Stanbeck Uganda or Stanbeck Nigeria, there is, and especially for the female population, there is a great sense of pride for them to go into the market and pick the best tomatoes, as opposed to going into a shop right and buying, buying something that someone else has selected, is a big factor and it's a big part of the culture. It's a big part of the culture, again, is to go and pick the freshest fish on the way home from work, as opposed to just going and buying it at a formal retailer. You know, it's, it's cultural that a lot of, the, a lot of the, the females who cook take that as a, a sense of pride in what they're doing. So culturally, that informal market is, is still very strong. So across those three factors, whether it's cost, convenience, or culture, the, the informal market remains quite strong. And it, it's very difficult to foresee the, the former market overcoming those, those, those challenges. Why are South African retailers struggling? In trying to answer that question, I think it's best we sort of split it out into food retailers and fashion retailers. It's easy to understand the fashion retail part of it. If you go back, um, the hypothesis about the, the, the African consumer was around this young population moving into cities that were going to benefit from strong economic growth, uh, which is going to increase the disposable income. If you think about fashion, fashion is a disposable income category. After you've spent all you need to spend on all your services and all your, your essential goods, you then go buy clothing. So other fashion retailers entered the market on the back of this promise that a lot of the young population will have more disposable income to spend. The reality is, again, we're speaking generally, there are pockets of growth, and that simply hasn't happened as yet. There's nothing to suggest that it won't happen, but it certainly has been delayed compared to analyst predictions 10 or 15 years ago. So for fashion retailers, it's been very difficult for them to see the sales growth. That's why if you look at the likes of a Pepcoin or Woolworths, they have exited quite a few key markets because the disposable income growth simply hasn't been there. If you look at a food, food retailers, so the food retailers at least play in the space of a defensive stock so, or a defensive category. No matter what's happening, whether you get an increase or not, whether you get a bonus or not, you still need to eat, you still need to buy food, and that's why that category is considered defensive. But within that category, it is, a, it is a volume game. The margins are very small, um, but you need to sell a lot of goods for it to, to be profitable. And, and if you contrast the nature of the, 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 the retail market in Sub-Saharan Africa versus SA, you know, SA's got a strong manufacturing capability. It can manufacture a lot of the, the goods and services locally, which brings the price down. And rentals are in South African currency. So what's Comforting for South African retailers is that they will earn revenue in South African rands, but also pay expenses in South African rands. And that there's no gamble on currency. If you contrast that to Sub-Saharan Africa, they've got to import a lot of the goods. And that often means that they are paying it in foreign currency. Couple that with the fact that, you know, they've got dollar-based rentals, which what's happening for a lot of these retailers is that the, the rentals going up, the cost of goods are going up, but they can't necessarily price higher to cover those costs. And the simple reality is that for a lot of these retailers, servicing customers in, in the formal channel is not profitable. Um, and if you, if you couple that with what's happening with the informal market, which doesn't have these kinds of concerns, they don't have to, they can price on a much smaller scale, 
in a much more, they don't have the, the rental problem that a lot of the retailers do have. It means that for a lot of these retailers, it's been very difficult to operate. Um, the big example was you know, ShopRite effectively saying that they're going to reconsider their African business. That was the big, you know, there have been small warning signs um, with other retailers leaving. But, you know, ShopRite has, since the early 90s, been in sub-Saharan Africa and looked for growth in sub-Saharan Africa. And it's actually been, you know, a big part of their strategy. So for them to turn around now and say that they're struggling gives you an indication of how, just how difficult it is to operate in these markets. What are the big trends in the retail space and future outlook? If you look at retail around the world, um, in particular food retail, they sort of followed distinct paths, you know, over time. So it always starts off informal and it starts to slowly formalize. And once it starts to formalize, there's a massive space race. You know, people want to open as many stores as quickly as possible. Eventually, you get to a point where there's now too much space. And a lot of the retailers that have been successful start to consolidate. They start buying up each other. Um, and eventually you start to see then they start differing on price points. Certain, certain retail stores are seen as discounters. Certain retail stores are seen as more expensive. Again, that differentiation starts to occur. And eventually you get to where we are now, at least in South Africa. But certainly if you look at the UK and the US, they're a bit further along in this journey than we are where the big battleground is online. How do we start to serve customers online? Because that's where customers exist now. That's, where, that's how customers expect to be served. That's where they are, whether that's on social media um, or on various app platforms. That's where customers are now. And if you look at the rest of the world, excluding sub-Saharan Africa, that's the challenge for food retail. As we mentioned previously, there are a lot of challenges in sub-Saharan Africa for growing that um, their physical space. But, you know, where those challenges are present for the, for the retailers, the consumer is not stuck back there. The consumer is extremely digitally savvy. They are present on social media. They are very comfortable with apps. You know, if you look at the stats around mobile penetration and, and social media usage, sub-Saharan Africa is very close to the rest of the world, which is in sharp contrast to where physical space is in sub-Saharan Africa versus the rest of the world. So all that means that there's an opportunity for retail in sub-Saharan Africa to skip some of those earliest life stages of food retail, be it the, the space race and the, and the consolidation and then discounters and actually go straight to where the rest of the world is now, which is to start thinking about that um, online space and how do they better serve customers online. If you look at the key trends in online, on, in e-commerce now, you know, you look at sort of end-to-end -end delivery, right? So you buy online, they deliver to your door. Now, globally, that's very challenging. In South Africa, that's very challenging. Um, we don't necessarily think that end-to-end -end delivery is something that will get traction in sub-Saharan Africa immediately. Um, but if you look at a couple of other trends that are present globally, um, we think that we are really starting to see them take place in sub-Saharan Africa and we think that there is enough scope for those to continue to grow. The one is direct-to-consumer, DTC. Direct-to-consumer is effectively, historically if you look at it, the retail store was the gatekeeper to the consumer. If you had brands, you know, whether you are Nike or whether you are Unilever and you sell um, 
peanut butter spreads. Pre the internet, you had to be in a retail store to get customers. What's, what the internet has effectively done is, to a, to, to a certain degree, is disintermediate the retail store. Unilever as a brand, Nike as a brand, can access customers through the internet, right? The easiest way is you can go onto nike.co.za and shop without going to a retail store first, without going to a, a sports scene or a total sport, you can get direct access to Nike without going through that retail store. So as consumers get more comfortable shopping online, um, we've seen a lot of brands go away from the retail store and go straight to that consumer. So you see, you might be able to go onto a brand Instagram account and buy directly from that Instagram account. Um, and that's one of the big trends that are happening globally. And when we were there during the trip, it's something that a lot of the local food producer brands were starting to think about. Subsequent, when we returned and through COVID-19, there were a lot of efforts from guys like Unilever and Mondelez to actually go direct to consumer. Effectively, what they were doing was they were online um, offering their products direct to the consumer, disintermediating that retail store. That's, that's a trend, that's certainly a global trend that we're starting to see happen in sub-Saharan Africa. And we think there's a lot of scope for that to still continue. The other trend is this idea of last mile intermediaries. So if you go back to why do we think end-to-end -end delivery is not going to be possible? We go back again. We say that food retail is a low margin game. And that extra cost of getting someone to deliver a 100 rand parcel from the store to the end consumer, which could be 10, 20 kilometers away, could be on rural roads, is expensive, often makes that, that um, unprofitable. But what we're seeing is, and, and, and this was strongest in Lagos, was there were certain local companies offering fulfillment services um, to consumers, and they were offering, they were often fulfilling through um, the informal market. So effectively what was happening is that there were certain accounts that often said, this is the list of products, order from me, I will deliver it to your house. And you know, they were then, consumers were ordering off, off the platform, and these people were fulfilling the orders. In other words, getting the stock from the local, um, local market and delivering it to the houses. What, why this works, it doesn't work at a big scale because they've got to then fulfill from the store. Those stores are very far from the end consumer. But a lot of these guys work off a five kilometer radius. You know, they serve customers that live within five kilometers of some of these informal markets, which means the cost related with fulfillment is not that high. Um, so again, that's something that we're seeing. We're seeing a lot of Instagram accounts pop up. We're seeing a lot of these guys pop up um, now. And, and, and again, if you go back to it, from a convenience perspective, thinking back to those three C's, it's becoming increasingly convenient for consumers to use these platforms. So while there are structural impediments to um, formal retail taking off, some of these big digital trends have, have a fighting chance of being quite successful because the consumers are aware of them. You know, if you speak to a consumer on the ground in sub-Saharan Africa, they know how Amazon works, they know how all these international platforms work. Jumia is an example of, of a company that's trying to do something similar in sub-Saharan Africa. So there are certainly some digital trends that we think could start to work. We're already seeing direct-to-consumer and last-mile intermediary, intermediary start to work. 
Um, and, you know, effectively what's happening here is that ultimately what this does is actually put more pressure on that formal retail channel. Because as brands go direct to consumer, it starts to compete with the traditional retail channel. As last mile intermediaries start to become popular, that fulfillment is not happening out of a formal retailer sitting in a shopping mall. That fulfillment is happening at a local informal market. Um, and again, it might be indirect, but it actually just supports the informal market further. So these digital trends are certainly happening. They're certainly present. We're seeing them happening. Um, there's every chance that COVID-19 will only accelerate those, but they're not positive for the formal retail channel. In fact, they will actually support um, brands directly or the informal market further.